Hey, my friends, we will be right back to the show, but I have a question for you. Are you struggling with the impact of childhood trauma? Well, know that you're not alone. I'm here to let you know that I'm starting a brand new weekly coaching group that includes a year of life coaching, accountability, support, habit and goal setting, and more. I'm starting a waitlist for the group right now, and I'm only taking a handful of people. And I'll let you know that through this personalized coaching, we'll work together to help you understand how your childhood trauma has shaped your beliefs, behaviors, emotions, and will help you create a roadmap for healing and growth. Right now, you can schedule an absolutely free coaching session with me and get put on the wait list if you go to thinkunbroken.com. My friends, it's your time to turn your trauma into triumph, breakdowns into breakthroughs, and become the hero of your own story. And I'm here to support you in doing that. Just go to thinkunbroken.com to register for a free coaching call with me and to get put on the wait list for the brand new weekly coaching program. We'll be right back to today's show. But before we do, I want to let you know that you can get a free copy of my first book, Think Unbroken, Understanding and Overcoming Childhood Trauma, when you leave a review for the podcast on Apple Podcast, either on desktop or on your phone. All you have to do is go to Apple Podcasts, look up Think Unbroken, click follow in the top right, and then go and leave a review at the bottom. And when you leave that review, screenshot it and send it over to book.thinkunbroken.com where you can upload your contact and mailing information, and we will send you a free copy of this award-winning, best-selling book, absolutely free, including shipping. Just go to book.thinkunbroken.com to upload your screenshot review from Apple Podcasts for the Think Unbroken podcast. And until next time, my friend, be unbroken. I'll see you. Hey, my friends, we will be right back to the show. But I have a question for you. Are you struggling with the impact of childhood trauma? Well, know that you're not alone. I'm here to let you know that I'm starting a brand new weekly coaching group that includes a year of life coaching, accountability, support, habit and goal setting, and more. I'm starting a waitlist for the group right now, and I'm only taking a handful of people. And I'll let you know that through this personalized coaching, we'll work together to help you understand how your childhood trauma has shaped your beliefs, behaviors, emotions, and will help you create a roadmap for healing and growth. Right now, you can schedule an absolutely free coaching session with me and get put on the wait list if you go to thinkunbroken.com. My friends, it's your time to turn your trauma into triumph, breakdowns into breakthroughs, and become the hero of your own story. And I'm here to support you in doing that. Just go to thinkunbroken.com to register for a free coaching call with me and to get put on the wait list for the brand new weekly coaching program. You're listening to the Think Unbroken podcast, and I'm your host, Michael Unbroken. I'm an author, speaker, coach, and advocate for adult survivors of childhood trauma and abuse. In this podcast, you will learn how to transform your trauma into triumph, turn breakdowns into breakthroughs, and go from victim to being the hero of your own story. You can learn more at thinkunbrokenpodcast.com. And of course, check us out on Apple Podcasts and Spotify at Think Unbroken Podcast. Hey, what's up, Unbroken Nation? I hope that you're doing well. I'm very excited to be back with you with another episode with my friend, Tamara Fox. What is going on? How are you today? I'm doing well, Michael. How about yourself? 
I'm amazing. You know, I'm super excited to, to be here with you today um, to have this powerful conversation. And I, I think that people who will stick around and listen to this episode are going to get a tremendous amount of value. But also, I think one of the things that is probably going to happen through your story and your journey is people are going to understand the power that we have to create the life that we want to have. And, and I think that's one of the things I'm, I'm constantly trying to pursue in this show. You know, six years, 700 episodes in, and people often ask me, like, why do you still do this? And I'm like, well, because it's about the human experience. It's about our ability to connect and have these powerful and profound conversations. And so I think that's what's going to happen here. Um, I'm curious, as we kind of jump in, tell me, what was childhood like? Like, what was it like for you growing up? What was your experience? Yeah, I think I had in many ways kind of a fairy tale childhood until I was about 12. And when it comes to a lot of things. So I was raised in Evergreen, Colorado, which I'm not sure if you're familiar with how familiar you are with Colorado, but Evergreen's a very safe suburb. It's in between Denver and like the mountains very safe suburb. And I grew up in a, a very safe neighborhood where we just kind of ran around and did whatever we want. And my dad did really well. So we went to, you know, we belonged to country clubs and kind of had like, when you think of like, or at least when I was a kid thought of like picture perfect life, I really had that until middle school when my parents got divorced. And that's when I think my life started to change. And then it wasn't until I was 19 that my life had a total 180. And I really experienced trauma and tragedy. And I experienced some tragedy as a child, but not to the extent I did when I was 19 years old. Yeah. And I, I think, I think a lot of people that holds true. And, and my hope is, you know, as, as we dive into this, you know, you look at research like the ACE survey, adverse childhood experiences survey, and that study, and they point to something like divorce in childhood really being a traumatic experience. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's interesting that you pinpointed that kind of immediately. And I, I think like a lot of people and what's such a bummer is like, if you think about it right now, like divorce rate in America is like 60%. And yeah. so it's like, we automatically are setting up all these kids for failure. But what was that? What was that journey? What was that space between 12 to 19? Obviously, we'll dive into the 19 year old stuff. But like, in, in that space, immediately that kind of change in life and circumstances and understanding of family dynamics and love and all that, like what was happening for you in that time? Yeah. So my parents got divorced when I was in middle, I think I was 12 when I found out my parents, 12 or 13, when I found out my parents were getting divorced. And that experience in itself was actually somewhat traumatic for me. So my dad is also deceased. So he's no longer living now. He passed in 2020, but I had found out my parents were getting divorced because when I was a kid, we had our computer was facing the like the screen was facing the door to the office. But we had one of those older Macs that would because I'm 32 now. So back when I was a kid 20 years ago, the Mac screen would swivel. I don't think they make them anymore. I don't know if you remember those Mac screens that would like swivel. And my dad, every time I would go into the office, would actually swivel the Mac screen away from me. And I was like, that's suspicious. That's odd. And I had my dad's email password and actually went into his email and found him on a dating website. So that's how I found out my parents were getting divorced, which most children get sat down and said, or a parent tells them or a sibling, somebody tells them, hey, you're, you know, we're getting a divorce and here's why. I picked up the phone, called my dad and said, I never want to talk to you again and didn't talk to him for six months because finding out that way was very scarring as a child. 
And then until I was 19, my relationship with my dad was very like roller coaster up and down. I always wanted a good relationship with him and tried in different ways. But because of his own mental health things that he experienced and and, and many mental health issues he had himself personally, uh, our experience, our relationship was was really rocky and tumultuous. And I never had that consistent father figure. So I think between the ages of 12 and 19, it was a lot of growth without my dad really being consistent in the picture too. Yeah. I imagine that's a very difficult experience to have. And that, that aspect, what's so interesting is like in that, those formative years, like you're, we're shaping our understanding of relationships, of love, of what it means to be a family. And, and in that it kind of sets this weird precedent. And, and I don't know if this was true for you, but like watching a very chaotic, tumultuous, unkind, unloving stepfather in relation to my mother, who was, you know, a drug addict and alcoholic. I find myself, you know, later on in my twenties and well, late teens and twenties, like dating people representative of that and being like, oh, this is weird. I'm in this relationship. That's like dating my mother, which was like this crazy moment for me where I was like, oh my God, you like, what are you doing? But it, it makes sense because it becomes the thing that you understand. And when you're a child, like you don't understand this, like nobody really, in, of course, in your scenario, like nobody set you down. I was like, Hey, here's what's happening. And, and that helps, I think in two ways. And, and I'd love your take on it. I think that in part, even though it's like this really painful experience, it does build some resiliency in you. But then on the other side of it, it's like it just takes so much from you that you're like falling at the universe and asking why. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think all of our life experiences build resilience in different ways. And I've definitely learned that in the last, you know, 12 or so years since or I guess almost 13 years now since turning 19, especially. But the other thing, too, is our parents are supposed to be the ones that make us feel safe. And they're supposed to be the ones that create this environment. And when you have something, you know, my dad was also a drug addict and verbally abusive after um, my high school years. So not while I was a child, but while I was a young adult, when you have a parent who is inconsistent or unreliable or creates an environment where you don't feel safe, that is almost like a wound that you carry until you heal it as an adult. So in a lot of ways, it created this like wound for me as a child where I didn't feel safe in the family dynamic and I had to heal that once I was older. And that took a lot of work to heal. And as you said, like partners, you know, showed up in the people you're dating. Mine showed up a little bit. I don't think as much because I was so focused on not having, you know, healing my kind of daddy issues, for lack of better words, and healing that those wounds with my father that I didn't have to hold on to it for the rest of my life. And when he died, I actually did most of my true, like deep healing work, letting go of all of the pain he had caused from the time, even before I was 12 years old, but from, you know, 12 on that I can really, really remember. Yeah. There's, there's something interesting about this, this thing that when my mother died, I felt a true, and I share this, obviously, I felt a tremendous sense of relief in a lot of ways. One, because it was like, okay, cool. I don't have to suffer through the drunken 3 a.m. calls and the horrendous emails and the all the time that my existence brought her down, 
right? And and I know that's like a really strange thing for people who don't resonate with that, but this audience is going to, right? I mean, obviously it's called Think Unbroken, right? We're talking about childhood trauma and overcoming these things. Were you cognizant, like, uh, I'm curious because here's what happened for me. I, I told my mother at 18 years old, I said, I'll never talk to you again. And until the day she died, I think I talked to her twice. I was cognizant at 18 years old that if I didn't do that, I probably wouldn't be here with you, not recognizing like this was the future path. But you said something really interesting and I, I want to go into just briefly. It's like you you said that you were like, I need to heal this. I mean, were you aware of the impact when you were a teenager? Of the the impact that my dad had on me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it was more than... So my healing work, I think, really started and... Well, I, I did therapy after my parents got divorced because, you know, they were, my mom was big on like, you need to talk to someone, you need to talk to someone. But when I was 19 years old, I was robbed at gunpoint in my apartment. So I woke up to a masked man standing over my bed with a gun who ended up raping me and physically assaulting me, like dislocated my arm, caused a lot of physical damage. So after that, I went into a lot of trauma and I, it, that's when I became really aware of the issues I had with my dad as an adult and just bigger, like the issues I had with men from, you know, my dad causing trauma for me as a child and then that uh, um, experience occurring. So I was aware, I think, because of the other work I was doing and all of the time I was spending in the healing space because of a different experience caused me to come to this awakening of I have a lot of healing work to do around my dad. And like you with your mom, I had to put boundaries up with my dad at some point because he too, verbally abusive phone calls and emails telling me, you know, I'm a piece of sh nobody's going to ever love me, um, you know, and then the next morning he would call me, you know, be fine the next day and be like, hey, how's it going? How are you? So I experienced that same whiplash with my dad too, with his addiction. And at one point I actually had to put a boundary around him and kind of create space for me to, to be safe while he was still in this world. And to feel that I had control over the relationship because for so long, up until I think I was in my my 20s, I didn't have control. It felt like he was, you know, taking and choosing what he wanted and making me feel however he wanted to make me feel. And when I started to do my own healing work because of the trauma that I went through and that PTSD and anxiety I had, that's when I started to really do the work with my dad too. And it allowed me to be able to put up those boundaries and feel more safe. My first my heart goes out to you i think that's an incredibly tremendously painful experience to have just across the board obviously and you know as someone who was sexually abused as a child like i know the way that with you and then you like you sprinkle on for me a little bit of mormon church a little bit growing up in the hood it's all kind of insane and it's like the the thing that i i try to leverage in my life even though there's a lot of pain that has happened is that I'm not the worst thing that's ever happened to me. And we very easily begin to identify with our trauma. I mean, how could you not, right? And you're like, I'm a victim, I am this. And it's not that you weren't victimized, it's not that these tremendously painful things haven't occurred to us, but it's also at some point, and, and I love what you said, it's like, you gotta heal this. Like you've got to, if you want a different life, you've gotta step into the darkness of it. And I think what's so, so difficult at least in, in my journey the, the difficulty has been in acknowledging and not leveraging the coping mechanism and not going and and trying to stuff it down and hide from it 
And I think that's especially when you add in sexual abuse, you add in alcoholic parents, drug addict parents, neglect, the crazy texts and emails you get. It's like that stuff is dark. Mm-hmm. It's like so dark. I remember I was watching this this movie. It was Nightmare on Elm Street. So Freddy Krueger movie, like part 27 or whatever, right? Because they've made a million of them. And there's this the scene, I think it's the fifth one. It's called Dream Warriors. And in the scene of this film, this woman is like trying to understand why she's getting haunted by Freddy Krueger, i.e. her nightmare. Like they're the great parable for life, right? And she goes to this medicine woman. And this medicine woman tells her, um, when you bring your nightmares to life, they lose their power over you. Mm-hmm. And so what did he what did healing look like for you in the beginning? Because I think that I know that people who are sitting here and listening, they probably resonate with us, probably the majority of the audience, right? Obviously. What did healing look like? What was that process? Because that is such a buzzword right now. It makes me want to slam my face into a wall sometimes. But I'm like, what, what was the process? Because it's not just I went to therapy and then life was okay. Yeah. Well, I, when I was, so going back to when I was 19, cause that I think is kind of like my catapult for, I didn't really have a choice anymore. I truly saw my life flash before my eyes. I thought I was going to die. Like woke up 19 year old man standing over a masked man standing over my bed with a gun, holding it to my face. And then first words he says to me is if you scream, I'm going to kill you. So like that to me, it was like, after that moment, I didn't, didn't even think I was going to get out of that moment and live. And then when I did get out of that moment and live, I was like, I don't want to feel like this. Like I am petrified. I'm scared. I feel like shit. So I need to start healing. So yeah, it was the traditional therapy. I was on more prescriptions than I can remember or care to remember. And I did kind of that like traditional Western medicine view of heal the symptoms and let's give you pills and let's talk about what happened. I also did EMDR and I was really young. I mean, I thought I was at 19. I thought I was much older than I am. And, but I, I didn't realize that there was so much more to the healing world than just talk therapy and prescriptions and and muting symptoms. So as time progressed and I spent more time researching, learning, and finding out other modalities, I started doing things like EMDR, um, eye movement desensitization. I, as time progressed too, I had a lot of deaths that I experienced. I experienced seven deaths in six years from 2016 to 2022. And when I lost my first death in 2016, that was actually my grandma. And that explored me, that kind of prompted me to explore more of the um, Eastern medicine side of healing or less traditional, sometimes called like woo-woo side where mediums and energy work. So I've spent a ton of time and um, investment, money and energy and energy work and spending time with mediums, understanding purpose and why I'm on this earth, like more of that higher power piece of it, as well as I've done neurofeedback. I spent years listening to different podcasts, journaling, books, um, somatic therapy, which is physically getting things out of my body. I completely changed my diet and my exercise routine and how I lived my life, like from a holistic level, how was I treating my whole person, my career? Was I satisfied in that? Um, my diet, what did that look like? My sleep, my nutrition, everything. I looked at myself as a whole person and that, and focused on more than just the emotional side. And that's to me when I like really noticed a difference. And I mean, you know, this, I think everybody knows the healing work never ends. It changes and you feel different and you focus on different things, but 
it's you're either healing or growing. Like it's kind of a combo of both. And the work's never really done. I still to this day have a coach that I use. I still focus on that holistic healing, which is why I'm a health and wellness coach to help others with it too, because it's not just about healing the emotional, mental, it's about healing the, the physical too. Yeah. And I think honestly, it's a weird thing to say, but I think it's almost more important to heal the physical in a lot of capacity because the the brain tends to go at the pace of the body. At least that's been historically my experience. And and stepping into this path and this healing journey, I mean, you're dead on. I mean, literally, I just, I'm not going to get into details. It's very fresh, but I'm just back from an eight-day ayahuasca retreat. Something where I was like, I don't, I'm never going to do something so insane. Like, I don't want to be like puking in my pants for a week trying to heal. But it was like, one of the most profound things I've ever done. But in the beginning, it was like, what do I have to do? And And I think it's very easy to be trapped in the standard Western approach. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm not a woo-woo guy, not by any capacity. I think a lot of modalities are um and I think a lot of modalities are very practical. I mm-hmm. I believe in energy. I believe that or it's a you know here here's what I would tell people if you don't believe in energy, get on the highway and look at the guy in the car four lanes over and tell me he doesn't look back at you. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so I, I think that healing that it's going to be different for everyone. And I think that you have to find your modality. And I think that you have to be willing to go through the difficulty of it. Mm-hmm. Because I'm sure there were times where you're like ready to give up. Oh, hundreds of like more times than I can count. I mean, I'm 32. So from 19 to 32, there were more times that I was like, this is not working. And especially when it's hard, I was like, this is getting worse. Like I'm not getting better. I'm getting worse. And that's why I kept trying different things. Why did you feel like you were getting worse? Because there were times where my symptoms or um, like, it just felt like life was so hard. So I think it was for me, especially after the deaths and especially after last year, because I lost one of my brothers and one of my best friends in 2022, five months apart. They were killed completely separate incidences, five months apart in 2022. And after my best friend was killed, it was like, I like I I was in a really good place before my brother had passed too. I had done a lot of work, kind of healed the my dad dying in 2020. I was kind of in a really, you know, healing place from his grief coming on two years. And then my brother died and my best friend died. And I was like, they kind of set me back 10, 15 years, it felt like. And I um it it felt like I, it felt worse because I was in a, a a mindset of I was like, I I don't feel like anything I'm doing is working. Like, I'm like, how nothing I know, nothing I've learned is helping me. Am I getting worse instead of getting better? And that's where I've had to revisit like, okay, I'm not getting worse. I was regret, like I was get, I was set back or in moments where um, like my deep healing from like 19 to 22, 23, right after my trauma, where I would have really dark periods because PTSD is unpredictable. And I'm like, nothing's working. Why am I getting better? And when you're in it, like when you're in the thick of it, it doesn't feel like there's a light at the end of the tunnel. So you have to remind yourself of like, it does get better, even though when you're in it, it feels like nothing's getting better, especially when you may not be where you want to be with your career or your relationship and your life doesn't, and you're seeing everyone around you living in these, these worlds that look perfect, especially on social media. To me, I was like, I'm just, spiraling i'm not i'm not getting better Mm. yeah it's 
I think there's something about sitting in the acknowledgement of it. Like we, we run from this. This is one of the things that probably is a cornerstone to my life being what it is today. When I was in a dark place, I would just be like, I'm in a dark place right now. This sucks. And I would acknowledge it. And I think it's really easy, you know, and it's not just social media, it's society. We live in a really, an incredibly strange time when it comes to posturing, when it comes to people lying, when it comes to putting on this face, right? And wearing these masks. And it's like, there's nothing wrong with being like, I'm in a dark place. Oh, yeah. And I think that's, I'd like to know your opinion of it, obviously, but I, I have found that it is in that acknowledgement where you're able to move forward because if you're going about your life, ignoring the reality that's sitting in front of you and putting on your happy go lucky face and you're out here trying to survive the chaos of your own mind to tell everyone that you're okay. More importantly, to tell yourself that you're in trouble because maybe you're not, and maybe you admitting it is the step to get the help that you need. Because I look at my life at, at 25 years old, we're talking about 13 years ago. I'm on t- outside looking in and thank God social media isn't what it is now. Then I'm, I've got more money than I can count. I've got the nicest clothes, the nicest cars, dating all the most gorgeous women in town, dating on all of them, no less. And yet my life is like this disaster. And people will be like, are you okay? Like I had a couple of friends, I'm, I'm thankful, not many, but a couple of friends pulled me aside and like, dude, you good? And I was just like, yeah, I'm fine. None of them said, you're a psycho. You should probably like go to therapy, dude, work on yourself. And it wasn't until this transition happened when I attempted my life for the second time at 25 and some change heading into 26, where I was like, actually, I'm not good. I'm not okay. And there's something incredible about that. Even recently, I, I shared publicly, I'm, I was on a hiatus for months. I was like, I'm, I'm taking some space, I'm taking time for me, and acknowledge that. How, how important is that? Like to really, like you even said, you said it just now, which I really, really appreciate. If people skate past this phase. How important was it to acknowledge that you were in a dark, sad, probably unbecoming place? Yeah. I always acknowledge it. I mean, I'm, I, I'm very transparent. I think the thing is, is I just felt so alone in it. Like I, even last year when losing people, I, there was times I felt really alone, even though my family experienced the loss too. And for me, it was just this 12 year period from 2011, or I guess 11 years. I can never do, I'm the worst at math in my head, but from 2011 to 2020, 22, like that experience where I almost died at 19 to seven deaths at, you know, ending in 2022, it felt like the world was just against me. And I was like, is this ever going to end? Like this has to just be a sick joke where from 2016 to 22 is just a death every year. And it's like, as soon as I felt like I was getting better. So for example, my dad died April 4th, 2020. And then the dog that I had gotten for protection after what had happened to me when I was 19 died March 18th, 2021. So just as the year mark was about to approach of my dad's death, as I'm just coming to grip with the fact that my father was gone and processing that my dog died. And then a year later on March, um, sorry, my, my dog died March 21st, 2021. My brother died March 18th, 2022. So a year later, as I'm coming to grips with my dog dying, my brother dies killed. And so 
in that time, I was I was not okay. And I knew I wasn't okay and I admitted it, but I it was this it felt like again, like this spiraling of like as fee- as soon as I feel like I'm coming up for a breath of air, I get whacked in the face again with someone else dying or something else traumatic happening. And I admitted I wasn't okay. Like I told my friends, my friends knew, but so many people don't know what to do when people are going through grief, when they're dealing with trauma, when they're processing and healing and and working through stuff, people don't know what to do. So they don't say or do anything and it almost makes it worse. So I was fine with saying, you know, I'm not okay admitting it, taking care of myself, doing what I needed, having coaches, having therapists, doing the, the care I needed to support myself and getting through it the best I could. But the world around me didn't even seem to recognize or respond to me saying that I'm not okay. And it's not that it was, I was saying like, I, I'm very grateful. I've never um, had like thoughts of, you know, taking my own life. I've had very severe depression, but I've never gone that place. But people would automatically just kind of respond with like, are you going to hurt yourself? Like, instead of asking like, how can I help you? Or what do you need? Like, what, what does support look like for you and your healing? Because I was transparent with friends of like, I, I don't have capacity for this right now. I don't have the ability to show up to certain events right now because I'm dealing with these things. And people just would be like, okay, you're not saying anything. So that to me, I think was somewhat of like the most difficult pieces. I've always been very transparent and honest about my experiences, how I felt, what I'm going through. I mean, I've written a blog about it. I've obviously done plenty of podcast episodes talking about the events I've been through. It was the way people responded that I was like, are people actually listening? And it's not that people didn't care, but they don't know how to show up for people in times of grief and trauma. Which is unsurprising, Mm -hmm. right? It's like, that's a a painful truth of the world that we live in. Um, And I don't know if this happened to you, but when I was in the midst of really a lot of processing and a transition many years ago, I I sat down with a handful of my closest friends at the time, and I shared with them, guys, I'm not in a good place. This is why I've been a psycho for the last, I mean, like people listen to this podcast know more about me from a single episode than people who knew me for a decade. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and I, I remember I shared, I was like, guys, I'm going to hit you with some hard facts, but you need to understand why I'm a little bit crazy right now. And none of those people are in my life anymore. Because I, I think that most people don't recognize how to or understand how to hold space. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that we should ever like dump our sh- on our people. Mm-mm. But when you're like, hey, I need support. Most people don't know how to manage what that means because I don't know about you, but I don't remember being taught how to support people who are suffering when I was in elementary school. I remember having to get in trouble for not knowing who the 32nd president is. I'm like, I don't know what that is. I still yeah. don't, right? And it's like we don't, we don't learn our our EQ is so incredibly low in this society. Yeah. And and I think the most important, if I were to lay out something that I thought is beneficial for people. It's just like, sometimes you got to hold, just let your friend exist in that space and be there and hold their hand or take them to coffee or, or show up in some capacity. But I think it scares people. Like, well, it does. It, it, have you lost friendships in this journey? When I was younger, yes, like 19. And I think I, I carry a pretty small circle in general of like people I actually consider friends. 
So I keep a small circle. When I was younger, absolutely, from like 19, early 20s, I lost a ton of friends because people didn't realize that or appreciate that I didn't want to go out to parties late at night and drive home or, you know, go home from bars with random guys because I didn't feel safe. Like, and I would lose friends because I didn't want to do the normal quote unquote 19 and 20 year old activities that everybody else was doing and lost a lot of friends because of that. I, my other friends like that have, that I've experienced these events with later in life, they've been supportive. I think it's just people are always, all of, all of the people for the most part have been supportive immediately after. Like they, they show up right after as people are, think they need to do. So after the deaths, everybody shows up, everybody's supportive. People though, don't think of ways like you're saying in the emotional intelligence perspective of how do you support somebody long after the experience has happened. And that's why I actually coach and train and do workshops on this content of it's not just about, okay, somebody has died and they're gone. So let's send you flowers or show up to your house and bring you meal. Like, yes, you should do that in the moment. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no brainer. Mail checks, invoices, documents, and everything you need to keep your business running. Get rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS. And with the mobile app, you can take care of mailing on the go. Make the same no-brainer decisions as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. But it's it was fascinating to me, like a year after my brother's passing, I think the only person that like reached out without me posting something on like Instagram about his passing was like his best friend for his like childhood best friend. And it, I don't hold that. I don't hold a grudge against any of my friends, but like people don't or when Father's Day approaches for people to randomly be like, hey, I'm just thinking of you like those little triggering events that or the holidays, like the holidays in 2022 I chose to not celebrate like any holidays. I celebrated Thanksgiving, but in December, I was like, nope, I can't do it. I can't sit and listen to everybody tell me how great their year was and about, you know, wonderful events, marriages, babies, great things, trips, job promotions. Last year, I said, I chose not, I I can't celebrate holidays this year. I lost one of my brothers and one of my best friends this year. I'm not, this is not a year to celebrate for me. This is a year that I just stayed home alone by myself for the holidays. And I, it's it's those little things too where people don't check truly check in with people and have real conversations. It's not that I'm expecting anybody to pay attention to me 24/7 or constantly be like are you okay? How are you doing? But when times come up for people to be like I know you've had a hard year. I just want you to know I'm thinking about you. Or like I know the holidays can be hard for people that have experienced grief. Is there anything I can do to help? Like People don't want to name that elephant of this could be hard for you and almost bring up the discomfort with the person. So they say nothing at all. And that's mm-hmm. my experience with it. So, yeah, I did lose a lot of friends in my early 20s. And my friends now have been supportive and, and great in the best way they know. But they also haven't experienced what I experienced. So they don't know how to to do it in the way that maybe I would do it. And I don't blame them or fault them for that. They're being loving, compassionate people in amazing ways. 
but they're also, they don't know how to truly support somebody through grief or through trauma because they haven't been through it themselves. Yeah. And, and I think one of the things that we are so removed from, especially in America is death. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're so removed from it and it's societally, it's not really something that exists. Like if you really think about it, like, and I know, you know, this and, and I do too, because we've experienced the most devastating losses. I mean, in, in my adult life, losing my three childhood best friends to murder, losing my grandmother, my mother, other family members, other friends. It's like, it, it's something inevitably we all face it, right? There's nothing you can do about it. We are all on a ticking clock and we do not know the expiration date, but societally, we just don't deal with it in an impactful way because it's something that's almost faux pas in an odd sense. And, and my hope is that people listening to this, just like reach out to somebody, like just reach out to somebody, you know, who has suffered loss, or if you need support, reach out to someone and say, Hey, I'm, I suffered loss. Can we go sit and have dinner? Mm -hmm. Right. And I, I think there's something about that communal aspect of, of the process that's massively important that probably isn't really considered highly enough. Uh, I keep thinking, God, the whole time you've been talking, I keep thinking about this quote my therapist told me years ago, and it's something that I might literally put this on my headstone when I die. And, and the quote is, you can be depressed and still tend to your garden. He told me that in this context of, I was having a really, really difficult time when I was 30, uh, 31. I was in this transition. I had, I had left the city I grew up in. I had shut down a business, left a relationship. I was had no car, suitcase full of clothes, and I was on the other side of the country, like trying. Like that's all I was doing. I was just trying. And I was just in the worst phase. Not the worst. I was in a, a very unsatisfactory place in my life for a lot of reasons, much of which my doing, I do admit. But I was trying to like claw my way through it. And he said to me, you can be depressed and still tend to your garden. And the thought that just came to me in that was, I see a reflection of myself and you having this conversation. We are people that serve people. We are people that to our highest ability and energy and capacity, give ourselves to others. And we, we do so because we see the value of it. We do so because honestly, and I don't know if this is true for you, but it, it, it fills me up. It fulfills me. There's nothing I love more than watching the success of the people that I coach, the people that I, who listen to this podcast, the people that I lead in my communities. And yet it's like, I still have bad days. I have hard days. I have, I need three months away from everything. I have, I don't want to do this today. And of course there's, there's the element of like, showing up and doing it anyway. There's the element of like, what do I really need and honoring thyself? There, there's so much that's almost a loaded statement in its own right. But I'm so curious, like in that context of like life is hard, mm -hmm. how do you continue to show up for yourself and for the people around you? Yeah. I mean, my biggest thing is like taking care of myself like that. That is the reason the reason I pursued health and wellness coaching instead of becoming a therapist is because one, I saw my dad completely destroy himself from the inside out with the choices he made. And I was like, I'm not going down that path. I have half of his genetics. I'm good. Mm -hmm. Like that is not my future. I'm shaping my future in the way that I want. And I'm not going to end up like my father. 
because I could have if I would have made different choices. And two, um, the the um, sorry, I'm spacing my train of thought here. So <laughs> give me a second to come back. Um, oh, so how I show for myself is the so I went the health and wellness co- coach route was because of the way I took care of myself enabled me to show up for others is by me, you know, prioritizing and putting myself first, it allowed me to also be able to take care of other people and help other people. And in the moments where I'm not taking care of myself and I'm not fulfilling my needs, I can't help other people. So like when my brother was killed last year, March, 2022, I had to scale back. I had to do less. And I had to honor that right now is not the time for me to take care of anyone else because my family needs me. I need me. And being honest and vulnerable with that. And it's not that I just said, you know, my client's not here to help you, but it was, I'm going to be delayed in my responses right now, or it's going to take me more time to get back to you. So if you need something, here's somebody else you can reach out to. Like if I, if you can't rely on me right now and you need support, I recognize and honor that. So I'm going to make sure you have what you need to still keep going. But sometimes I can't keep going with you. And I think what I see oftentimes with a lot of people is they don't want to be vulnerable and admit that they're not okay, going back to what you said before, but also they keep going and keep forcing themselves to run at 100% when they can't. And I make sure, again, that I'm okay. I focus on myself first, and that enables me to even show up better for my clients and for anyone else I work with. And um spacing my next thought. So I'll pause there. No, you're good. It's, I mean, it's a difficult question, right? And, and I, I created a lot of context around it because what, what I'm always evaluating is this single sentiment around life, know thyself. And, and I think that's the hardest part because these traumatic experiences that we have, the losses we suffer, the friendships we lose, the careers we're trying to build. And when things aren't going right, it's easy to get lost Mm -hmm. and it's easy to get off of your game. And then suddenly you're looking back and you're like, how did I get here? And, and the reason I asked you that question is because for myself and and I'm very similar, I'm a very stationary for lack of a better way to phrase it, self-care routine. I have a coach, I have a mentor, I have you know, a father figure in my life. I have a community outside of this that supports me because like we need as leaders, we need support too. And, and I think one of the most predominant truths that I've had to come to realize, and this is the heart, this has been like, this is a this year lesson for me where it's like, I cannot go a hundred miles an hour as much as I want to. Right. Because mentally I have it, but physically my body is like, nah, bro, you got to chill. Mm-hmm. And so it's really about honoring that journey for yourself because I, I believe, and this applies, I, I feel across the board in your family, in your relationship with your children, at your church, at your job, like whatever it is, it's like you have to honor the reality of what's true right now, not what you wish would be true. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that's the kind of, to go back to like honor yourself. I learned young that I have to take care of myself. Like I had no other choice, but I can either be depressed with severe anxiety and PTSD, or I can take care of myself. And, um, I'm space and sorry, end of, end of day for me is this tough. Holy, I get it. Yeah. And that taking care of yourself is, is about like the acknowledgement of it. 
right? Sitting in it and, and continuing to do the work, like whatever that work might be for you. And there, there's moments that I, I look at this journey, right? Being this leader and being the man that I am. And I recognize that so much of it came down to a decision. And I, I, I hope people will understand that when you talk about being 19 and like when I'm like, when I was 18 or 22, like we had lived a lot of life by that point. Like I remember one time, one of my therapists said to me, you didn't have a childhood. You were an adult when you were 10. And it's so like, I have like massive amount of life experience. And mm -hmm. so I don't want people to get lost in these numbers and be like, oh, they're so young. What do they know? Like I'm 38, you're 32. It's fine. It doesn't matter. It's like, what have you experienced? What do you know about the world? What do you, what do you give and bring to the conversation? And so I, I really want to leverage that, like hoping that people understand that age doesn't actually matter in this equation. When, when you think about, when you think about people who are in transition and, and you can step into this from your own personal journey, or maybe even something you bear witness to in your clients or, or the work that you do. I think that people are often in transition and that's the place in which they get stuck. Mm -hmm. How do you not be stuck in the transition? It, I, it's, I think, so are you saying when they're going from like the triggering event or whatever that may be the exactly. moment to where they're at getting to where they want to be or their that, that desired state almost. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yes. Often what I've seen is you experience like a huge hurdle kind of in between, like in that transition phase, you almost have to climb up a mountain in many ways, metaphorically to get to that place. And it doesn't seem like it should be more difficult before it becomes, before you get to where you're at. And it takes work. Like you have to be willing to do the work of what you're saying, sit in that uncomfortability, sit in that period of I'm not where I'm at yet, but I know I can be where I want to be. I just have to allow myself time and patience. Many people, from my experience, tend to get stuck in it because either one, they give up and they're like, this is too hard. I don't want to do this. And then I work with them and I'm like, okay, we're going to do this. We're going to get through it. But a lot of people will give up on their own because they don't want to do the uncomfortable work. They don't want to do what's hard. They don't want to do something that makes them feel vulnerable or like they're doing something they shouldn't be. Um, or two, they they become impatient. They're like, I, I should already be done with this by now. And I know for me personally, the impatience piece resonates so much because I so many times, especially in my early 20s, like I wish they would teach you in school, like your 20s just are hard. Like nobody, I know like you hear that For from sure. your parents, you hear that from your parents, but I really wish there was like a guest lecturer that would come in freshman year of college or senior year of college and be like, listen, you're about to go into the real world and it's going to be great, but your 20s suck. Like period, <laughs> they are hard. and. That I think for me was the hardest part because I'm obviously just now 32. I was so impatient in my 20s. And I was like, I, sh I should have be married. I should have kids. I should have this. I should have that. I should be my PTSD should be gone. I shouldn't have anxiety anymore. I should have this job and this career. And like, I just assumed I should have all of this by 26, kind of like that American dream or things I was told to have. And instead, my 20s were just hard. So it's that patience piece of I wish I would have given myself more grace given myself more acceptance mm -hmm. for it's going to come, allow it to come, be okay with this uncomfortability, this growth, 
be happy. And I, and that sounds so cheesy because there was nothing for me to be happy about them, but there was still so much I could be happy and grateful for in that time. And I think I focused so much personally on what I didn't have instead of what I did, what I lacked instead of what I, what I already had within. And I also focused so much on that external world instead of myself. So I sort to go back to, to your question on, you know, why do people kind of get stuck? It's one, they're focusing on everything else around them, lack of patience, or they just don't want to do the hard work. They don't want to get through it. People often give up. I mean, I know I've talked with my coach about this. She's a psychotherapist turned coach. So I always say she's great for me because she's a coach, but if I need the therapy support, she knows it. And she always tells me, she's like, people don't want to do the hard work. She's like, you have, when I'm working with her and I'm frustrated about things, she's like, you have to give yourself so much credit because so many people aren't doing this. More people are choosing to not do the hard things to stay where they're at than to do the hard things and get past where they're at. And I will acknowledge that A, yes. And B, it's like, if you are listening to this podcast still, six years, all these episodes, you're sitting here with us, right? You're doing the work. Like this yeah. is a part of it. Like, even though it doesn't seem like it, you're like planting these seeds, like the the showing up and the participation of just like, like I always think about this, the people who go like leave a review for this podcast is like, those people are going to heal. Like I'm <laughs> raining that on you. I'm giving you that energy, right? That's me being facetious. But like, really, if, if, if I look at the journey, there's one, I post like this all the time. I fully believe this. You will not lose if you don't quit. But the patience element of it is probably more important than anything. And patience is not a virtue. And whatever philosopher said that should have been hung in the town square because it is a skill. Patience is a skill. And like you in my 20s and growing up in the Midwest and being in Indiana at the time, all my friends were married. Most of them were having children. Most of them were in their career. But you know what's really interesting? I look back at some of those people, and, and this is not me negating their journey or anything to that capacity, but they're still doing the same. Like their lives are not. And it's like, that's your thing. Great. But if you're chasing something different, you have to be incredibly patient. And, and more so, one of the things that I, I sit with quite frequently in my own journey it's like I look at the amount of money, the amount of time, the amount of energy and effort and travel and plane rides and hotel rooms and cabs and conversations and coaching sessions and therapies that I personally have had. And it's like, I still got PTSD. I still have trauma. I still have things that I'm working through. And that is the game. And it it's about being willing to continue to play the game knowing that it's an infinite game mm -hmm. that in a year you will be different but the problems are kind of still going to be the same problem yeah which i think is really fascinating but you have you'll be more better equipped to navigate them as long as you're giving yourself the space to go down it because i, I I think people see folks like us who are coaches or leaders and they go, they have it all together. And I'm like, no, I don't. Mm -hmm. I don't. I maybe more than you, right? Because that's the process. Like I'm a step in front of you. You listen to me. My coach is a step in front of me. I listen to him. Yeah. Right. And that's kind of the game. How do you, 
now not being in your 20s and having a different career and building this life, but still doing the work and acknowledging all these things, like what is what does grace actually look like in your life? Yeah. Because that's a word, again, like healing, people kind of throw around and it's a buzzword. It's the like, digital grace, namaste, what the fuck ever. <laughs> but like, like, how do you really bring that into your life? Yeah. I want to go back to something you said, though, about like not giving up, because I think that's the biggest thing. And that's something I talk about a lot when it comes to like resilience. And just because for me, I wanted to give up so many times. I know I said of this earlier, but like the traumatic event happened when I was 19. And then from 25 to 30, it felt like everybody was dying or, and it was continual deaths over and over. And I wanted to give up every single year. So I think we're just acknowledging that it's okay to want to give up, but to make the choice that you don't give up. Cause yeah. I wanted to give I up more time than I count, but I chose not to give up and I wanted to do it so many times, but I didn't. So I think I just wanted to kind of go back to that just to let, you know, if, for those that are still listening, know, like it's okay if you want to give up as long as you choose not to. Um, and then to go to your next question of, you know, now being in my thirties, how am I doing life differently now that I'm, that I'm at the place I'm at than I am in my twenties? I mean, I can only do what I do now because I handled my, and when I say handle my, I healed that really intense trauma so that yes, my trauma is still there. My PTSD is, we, we live with that for the rest of our lives. I, I'll live with my traumas for the rest of my life. I will no longer have the people in my life who have passed pre um, physically present for the rest of my life. But I healed the stuff that enabled me to talk about it in a way in which is empowering and confident instead of trauma dumping. And that's what I en encourage others to do is you can be the person you want to be or, you know, like you or anyone else that they, someone that may admire, but you have to handle your, you have to heal through what you need to, because if you don't, you can't grow. And the reason I can do what I do now and be a coach and work with others is because I healed that. I couldn't be a coach when I was 22, 23, because I was so much still in my healing of my own. But because mm -hmm. I, I always say too, that what happened to me when I said, when I was 19, basically set me up for the deaths that occurred from 2016 to 2022. It set me up to handle those in a different way. Whereas if my first traumatic experience was my grandma's death in 2016, I probably couldn't do the work that I did until much later in life. But because I had something happen at such a young age, healed through it, got through it, as other occurrences happened in my mid to late 20s and then right in my early 30s, I was able to process through it much quicker because I knew how to handle trauma. I knew how to get through um, unfortunate or negative experiences. And I had healed that first, you know, kind of catapult traumatic event, which enabled me to then successfully heal through or support through like the grief process with others. Like my, my mom and all my brothers say to me that they're like, you get through grief so quickly. And it's like, it's because I process it. It's because I know how to process trauma. I've learned how to process trauma. And if I wouldn't have done that when I was 19 through my early 20s, these deaths would have looked very different. And so now in my 30s, now that I've been through years and years of healing and learning and growing and research and training and education and all these different things thrown at me, I have things under my belt that have enabled me to become a better, stronger person and also share that with others. Whereas if I would have started doing this work in my early 20s, I think the message would have been much different. I still 
I wouldn't have been as empowering. I wouldn't have come across as, as resilient as people always say, like people always tell me, oh, you're so strong. You're so strong. I would have never known anything happened to you. It's like, because I healed my, if I would have shown up while I was still really in the, the grip of that or in the chaos of that, I would, people probably wouldn't have seen that. They probably would have seen this broken person or young girl who was trying to figure out the world. And I'm still trying to figure out the world, but I know it a little bit differently. Mm. Yeah. And the world's, the world is going to change. Mm. It's, it's going to change because as you go down this path, your eyes open to just like the truth of the reality. Cause I, I, I won't put words in your mouth, but I assume there was probably dissociation and healing in that space too, where uh, for me, I was like, I was on la la land, just like walking around nonchalant about everything, not recognizing like, Hmm, maybe the two packs a day of smoking isn't good for you. Maybe the drinking a bottle of wine a night isn't good for you. Maybe cheating on all these women isn't good for you. Instead, I was kind of like, and, and now it's like, so probably overly. So the pendulum perhaps has swung too far. Uh, but now I, I look at it and I assess everything, every, every decision and choice I make is the most important decision and choice I ever make. And, and I think that that in its own right is healing in terms of understanding who you are and being able to build yourself into the identity of the person you believe you're capable of being. And it's so hard because again, this kind of goes to where we started the conversation, but we are not taught how to be human. Like that is just the reality of it. And mm -hmm. I had this really potent thought recently where, you know, I think people often are like, what's the meaning of life? And that certainly has been something that crosses my mind. And it dawned on me very abundantly and clearly that the meaning of life is very simple. Live. Live. You're going to have bad days. You're going to have amazing days. But in between most of it, it's kind of like, what is life? Life is the adventure. It's the joy. It's the happiness. It's the loss. It's the grief. It's the suffering. It's the airplane rides and the amazing sex and the great food, but the broken friendships and the movie that you wish you wouldn't have paid $18 for and everything in between. And, and I think that's what healing is. Like if I were to like summarize it, like healing is just a live. Well, and it's finding joy in what you can. Like that's so much of what I talk about with, because I, talk with a lot of people about grief. I talk with a lot of clients like work culture um, businesses about working with supporting employees through grief, through trauma. And it's finding the good. And I know that like people sometimes are like, well, you're an optimist. I'm like, but I'm, I'm, it's again, that choice, like what you're saying of like your pendulum has swung too far now. And you're thinking about everything as far as is this choice, the right choice? Am I making a choice that's beneficial for me and for my future? I still to this day, I always say like, I'm always going to remain an optimist because why? Yes, I know that bad can happen. I'm not blind to that. I've obviously seen it. I've lived it and I know it's real, but I still want to believe that like this world can be good, that I can experience good, that I am going to have um, a good life and that everybody can regardless of what they've been through. So it's like that finding that joy, finding what like fills your cup, makes you happy. And brings you um, happiness in this world and brings you to a place where it's not about like, yes, could I still be like, do I still have really, really hard days? Cause my brother died a year and a half ago. Absolutely. Do I cry? Absolutely. 
do I still enjoy what I can in life? Of course. Like I, I balance through it all. And I think so many people, they go through experiences and they no longer feel that joy or even want to find that joy anymore. And they kind of just see the world from this dark lens. And I was there. I've been there where like nothing was good. Everything was bad. Everything was evil. And that's all that they focus on. And when you come out of that and see that there is the good, like there is light, there is happiness. You can have what you want. You can do what you want. And you don't know when you're going to get through it. Like you also, back to the patient's thing, you don't know how long it's going to take. It could take six years. It could take six months. And I've always said to people like, find your, your purpose and your why as to, or, or decide your purpose and to why as to why the things happened to you that did happen to you. So for me, I always say like what happened to me when I was 19 enabled me to do the work I do now. If I wouldn't have gone through that experience, that really experience, I wouldn't be the person I am, which would have enabled me to do the work I do. Maybe it would have, but maybe not till I was 50 instead of 30. So finding my joy, finding my purpose has allowed me to, to also like, again, find that, find that happiness. Yeah. I love that. It's very profound and very beautifully said. And and I'm right there with you because having seen the deepest throes of depression and anxiety and to recognize that it, it'll still pop up every now and then, but know that I have the tools to deal with it, know that I have the community to deal with it, the will to deal with it, um, I think is what it's truly about. And And I love that you're an optimist. I am not. I am a realist. And my, my reality is if somebody else can do it, I can do it too. And, and I think that carries a lot of weight. So I don't think you have to, you know, again, everyone's journey is different. I'm not saying yeah. that you should or should not doing, should not do. But what I, what I do think is find your path, find the thing that works for you. My friend, this has been an amazing, amazing conversation. I love this. Um, however, before I ask you my last question, can you please tell everyone where they can find you and learn more about what you do and how you support people in their journey? Absolutely. So my business is called Awaken Empowerment, and I'm sure you'll link it in the show notes. My website's just awakenempowerment.com. I am the worst millennial. I hate social media, so I don't have like an Instagram <laughs> that's public. I have a private one, but I only have my Instagram for like my friends and then uh, LinkedIn. So my website is the best way to get in contact with me. That's where like my events are, or that's how you can work with me. And that's where I kind of link everything that I do. So awakenempowerment.com. Cool. Yeah. And of course, guys, go to thinkunbrokenpodcast.com. We will put the links and more in the show notes for this incredible conversation. My last question for you, my friend, what does it mean to you to be unbroken? Oof, I knew that was coming and yet I'm still, still not. I don't know if I have the best answer for you. I would say to be unbroken means to be real, to be authentic and to be your true self. Very simply said, very simply put. Thank you so much for being here, my friend. Unbroken Nation, thank you for listening. Please like and subscribe and share the show. And remember, whenever you do, you're helping other people break free of their trauma and their traumatic experiences, become the hero of their own story, and to ultimately be unbroken. And until next time, my friends, be unbroken. I'll see you guys. Thank you so much for listening to Think Unbroken. Please share this episode with someone who could use it and help us move forward in our mission of ending generational trauma in our lifetime. And if you would, please take five seconds to pop on iTunes or Spotify, hit that five star, leave a review. And you can also reach out to us on social at Michael Unbroken or at Think Unbroken. And of course, you can check out our YouTube channel at 
think unbroken. Thank you for being a part of Unbroken Nation, my friends. And until next time, be unbroken. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue. All in the Kroger app. Get three pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hey, my friends, we will be right back to the show. But I have a question for you. Are you struggling with the impact of childhood trauma? Well, know that you're not alone. I'm here to let you know that I'm starting a brand new weekly coaching group that includes a year of life coaching, accountability, support, habit and goal setting, and more. I'm starting a wait list for the group right now, and I'm only taking a handful of people. And I'll let you know that through this personalized coaching, we'll work together to help you understand how your childhood trauma has shaped your beliefs, behaviors, emotions, and will help you create a roadmap for healing and growth. Right now, you can schedule an absolutely free coaching session with me and get put on the wait list if you go to thinkunbroken.com. My friends, it's your time to turn your trauma into triumph, breakdowns into breakthroughs, and become the hero of your own story. And I'm here to support you in doing that. Just go to thinkunbroken.com to register for a free coaching call with me and to get put on the wait list for the brand new weekly coaching program.